Hello and welcome to McCartney in Goal. This is the podcast that debates and dissects a great album of pop music. We take some stories about an album that we love, we mix in some opinion, sprinkle over a World Cup style knockout scenario and stick it all in a blender. I know that, I know that you always say a great work of pop music or whatever it is you say that you do realise that any any Sabbath fans that have just uh, tuned in just tuned out again when you said that they're like oh I'm listening to the wrong I'm listening to the wrong podcast that they, they, they seem to be talking about great works of pop music fuck this do you want to, do you want to start again how, how would you describe it then a great work of uh, a great work of proto metal a great work That's... of hard rock that led to the birthing of an entire genre it's okay. a bit of a mouthful isn't it though for, for Dave yeah there's, there's, there, were, well, there was a distinct lack of pith there I accept that yeah and we take enough pith from Dave so Dave go back use whatever adjective you want okay I won't but basically what he said I'm David Hughes I'm joined by my fellow referees Brett Sharon and Steve Sumner rock on (laughs) great we'll start with the eight album tracks in a quarterfinal format and we'll meander to the semi-finals and stumble our way to a grand final we may be uninformed, we could be biased, we promise to be unruly. This podcast is certified as McCartney safe, which means that if you listen or support this podcast, you will not be supporting the involvement or harming of Paul McCartney in any way. I'm not sure if Sabbath fans will be pleased or I think Sabbath fans would quite like to see his face punched in, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Again, I don't think we're appealing to Sabbath fans the, the, way, the way that we were hoping to. We've not thought this through just from a PR perspective, to be honest. Hey, Ozzy Osbourne was a big Beatles fan. That's true. What Sabbath were into and what Sabbath fans were into is a very different thing. That's a good point. This is the longest introduction we've ever done. Is it? That's up against some pretty stiff competition. I was going to say. If you enjoy listening to us, if your ears are not harmed by our whiffle waffle, please... Again, again, Black Sabbath fans being hard metal fans are going to be put off by the the phrase whiffle waffle. I mean, if if they if any have survived this far, they, that's the last ones out the door. Oh, they've all bolted. But well, that's quite nice because I feel like the pressure's off now. We can say what we want, how we want. And I don't, as none of the Sabbath fans have continued this far into the podcast. No, no, no. I can get all the anecdotes wrong, get all the stories wrong, the references wrong. And all the Kylie Minogue fans that are still listening will be like, oh, Blank Hammer, that was an interesting episode. We can talk about Toby Iommi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Barry Ward. <laughs> Tonight, we're keeping an eye on Man on 1970. <laughs> This album is a festival of electric funeral guitar that helped introduce the world to heavy metal music. In 1970, it sounded like music from another planet, Caravan. (laughs) Tommy Iommi, Bill Ward and Geezer Butler possessed a talent and intellect that helped propel the band to instant international success. On the other hand of Doom, Ozzy Osbourne's launch into rock god orbit was a reminder that sometimes, sometimes, war pigs might fly. Oh my god. Oh, this is my favourite. Tonight, we are talking about the Black Sabbath album, Paranoid. Oh, tenuous. I I don't think tenuosity has ever, ever been stretched to that extreme before. That was a tour de force, a tour de farce of puns, Dave. I I loved it. Right, so tonight we're in 1970. This is Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Yeah, I I think it's really, I think it's a great album, yeah. Like, it's a very important album, I think, as well. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, But I, 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 my appreciation of this album. As an, as an actual piece of work has really deepened over the last week because I wasn't totally convinced by it as a as a coherent piece of work, but I've actually changed that opinion. 
Oh, wow, cool. And this is the classic lineup of Sabbath as well, which had a lot of iterations. For me, this is this is Black Sabbath. I don't even think it's classic lineup. It's like Black Sabbath is these four people. Yeah, I agree. So the Black Sabbath, uh, Dave, are Geezer Butler on bass, Bill Ward on drums, Tony Iommi on guitar, and Ozzy Osbourne on vocals slash backbiting. Yeah. Slash debauchery and insanity. Ah, oh, completely. Yeah. Uh, but unlike any other band we have discussed or will discuss, Beatles included, they are pretty much the only band ever who you could point at and say they pretty much invented an entire genre that took over the entire world. And yeah. they they were the runt of the litter amongst the hard rock bands of that time because you had Zeppelin, you had Deep Purple, and they were all quite popular with the press and fans and everything else. And, and Sabbath were these sort of oiks from Birmingham mm. and, and the press absolutely loathed them. Yeah. And they were essentially a blues band. And then one day they wrote a song and that song changed them and changed music forever. That song was Black Sabbath. Yeah, Black Sabbath. What happened was they were they were a blues band and they were covering stuff and then... Tony Iommi came up with this riff. It's about notes because the thing is, in a blues scale, you have certain types of notes, and that's what everyone plays. And then one day, he writes a riff. And he goes, dun, dun, dun. and that, that was no, that was that was Geezer Butler listened to Holst. Uh, Mars, yeah, Mars planets, by Hulk. Yeah, yeah. And, and he'd come up with that and then Tony Iommi did something else different yeah it exactly. was just Geezer Butler had basically gone to the cinema of his brother and seen a film called Black Sabbath and gone oh why do people love horror films so much let's try and make music that's like that appeals to that same thing in people that like horror films so they were trying to do horror film music in a band basically that was the concept that he came up with yeah and no one and had done it, it. And, and, they, and they started and it's about that interval because that's a chromatic interval which mm. f- is basically two notes right next to each other so instead of getting the blues scale you're dum 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 and that changed the whole of music because suddenly people weren't playing blues scales they were playing these really sort of odd minor scales and suddenly it's classical music and it's moving away from blues mm. and suddenly you're not you're, you're not intersecting with zeppelin and deep purple anymore you're going off in a different direction now because of this mm. one fucking note it's crazy Is and that... basically what happened was they'd go into pubs and play blues songs and they'd do a whole blues set and everyone would just go play that song play that that that, that witchy witchy wizardy black sabbath yeah. thing so and they just had to play that all the time and basically they, they realized immediately that they were onto something and they just ran with it yeah dave do you want the musicologists uh no you don't no we've been less than brief we've been yeah. long we'll come back to You're it kind of Okay, should we get into the songs? Yes, please. The first two songs are War Pigs against Rat Salad. Oh, lovely. Okay. Obviously easy. Pigs versus rats. Well, well, let's come to pigs later then. So let's discuss rats now because rats is clearly going out unless I've missed something very fundamental here. No, I mean, as you said, like the journalists hated them. Sabbath became popular without their help at all. Um, and I just remember there's one quote. Um, I think I don't know if it's in the Melody Maker or the Enemy. Four brick describing this song. Four brickies on acid inviting you to eat rat salad. <laughs> that was the criticism of this. I mean, they just didn't get it. Uh, I mean, in fairness, I don't like. This is my least favorite song on the album. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, they it does kind of represent the fact that they were loathed by the press. Yeah, but I think that it's interesting because. My first reaction was, "Oh, it's a flipping drum solo." And let's let's face it. And I know there's a drummer. In the, in the, I know there's a drummer in the, in the three of us here. But there is never, 
ever an excuse for a drum solo. No, no, <laughs> they're, they're fucking rubbish. Yeah, the only decent one is the end with Ringo Starr. And oh, he that's also, amazing. He also hated drum solos. And what it's like do? 15 seconds. Bonham did it as well. What is it? What's the one that Bonham does? Well, that's on? the thing, because it's Moby Dick. So you've got Moby, Moby Dick, is, Dick is the big Zeppelin tune. And uh, Toad was the big cream tune. And they go on for flipping ever. And the thing is with this, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's still no. a great riff. It's still a great band performance. It's still, a, it's still a great tune. And it just comes in. You know, you think, oh, it's a bloody drum solo. But actually, it's it's barely a minute long. And and actually, we'll get into it. But I flipping love Bill Ward. So, oh, Bill Ward's an amazing drummer. Amazing, amazing, amazing. amazing. He's got, he's got such an incredible thing going on. No, so they I, were just de rigueur, weren't they? 1970, 71, 72. Exactly. Like, you know, if you're a good drummer, so, you've got to do a and, solo. And so, so in that context, it's bloody tasteful compared to actually Zeppelin. Oh, it's or, really tasteful. Or, you know, the big boys are Zeppelin and Cream, you know, and it's yeah. way more tasteful than they were, so fair play. Yeah. Nonetheless, Rat Salad is very much going out with war pigs on the table here. Yeah, absolutely. Got bacon on the table. Don't know what you're talking about, but okay. D- <laughs> Rat salads. Yeah, what did you think, Dave? Brackets, instrumental. I thought it didn't really need a drum solo because his drumming is fantastic all over this it album. Need, nothing needs a drum solo. We've established that. That's interesting. As as a total innocent to the world of Black Sabbath, Dave, what what did you think about... That's one of the things that hit you first, was it the drums? Uh, yes, and um, I listed the songs in the order that I liked them, and I had Rat Salad above Warpigs. What do I know? Oh, my They're God, Nothing. Dave. You know fucking nothing. What the fuck are you talking about? What the capital fuck are you talking about? You've got, what, you've got Rat Salad above Warpigs. Oinking twat just, nose, are you right. doing? What is going it, on? You know all those things that happened at the beginning of the podcast that we sort of vaguely joked might turn off the Black Sabbath fans. Any that were, were still listening literally just put oh their my fists God. through the radio. They, <laughs> what uh, are you talking about? You've uh, just pit like one of the like smallest moments of of their career, fine on one of their biggest albums, against one of the most iconic songs. The, basically, the reputation of this album is built entirely around three songs, yeah. and that's one of them. Sure <laughs> as shit isn't rats. <laughs> it was going to be called, the album was going to be called War Pigs. That's why the cover has a man uh, in it we're holding a shield and is it a sword or some kind of weapon? Yeah. Uh, and then America, the American label said, no, we can't have that because basically War Pigs is, is criticising the Vietnam War and all of yeah, those things. And but we're still involved in that. so We no can't way. do that. So they had to then call it Paranoid. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you won't let's call it after the first song, we'll call it after the second song. But it's a massive song. So it's interesting. Let's put, let's use that adjective. It's interesting that you like Rat Salad more. Yeah, interesting is a great way of, of putting absolutely shocking, appalling and one of the worst things you've yeah. ever said to us. Those are better adjectives, I think. They're more accurate. Okay, so the uh, the first quarter final was War Pigs against Rat Salad and War Pigs goes through. Of course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> Obviously, because two of us actually have brains and ears. Okay, and the second quarterfinal is Electric Funeral against Paranoid. Oh, okay. So Electric Funeral is about nuclear war, according to Geezer Butler. And the interesting thing about this band is, Dave, Geezer Butler wrote the vast majority of the lyrics. The bassist wrote the, wrote the vast majority of the lyrics and not the singer. He, Geezer Butler said sometimes Ozzy, when finding the melodies, would come up with an idea or a phrase that would help him inspire him. But basically, Geezer was the geezer in writing the lyrics. Yeah, so if, if I was doing this appraisal for uh, for John Michael, Ozzy Osbourne, 
Uh, in which areas right. of your job do you consider you've been most effective in the last year? And why do you think that is? <laughs> Writing lyrics for songs, you know, like singers normally do. Would you call him... I mean, the the look you're giving him now. I mean, I'm feeling uncomfortable and I'm not even Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, next question. In which areas of your job do you think you've been less effective in the last year? Writing lyrics. We, we've got to put but that down that... for next year's review, haven't we? <laughs> At the same time, Ozzy's like, what the fuck? And he's just snorting some cocaine. They had an interesting writing process at this point, and I think because usually someone's going to write the vocal melody and the lyrics, but you have this weird situation where it would start with an iomi riff, you know, to get Geezer to play some, some bass, maybe follow it, and then Ozzy would come in and, and do sort of some vocal lines and then often he would a have come up with a melody that would then stick so he's writing a melody which is 50 percent of the job of, of writing that and b he would chuck some strange words in those strange words would often then inspire geezer to go well that's a weird phrase that's a weird word and then he'd go away and actually write a lyric around that and i, I can't think of any band that had that writing process similar so, to a lot of bands but it's not quite the same so let's talk about electric funeral War. It's got a great riff. It's brilliant. It's not as good as the other song. It's, it's not as good. Well, I mean, halfway through it, it sounds like they've heard an advanced. It goes kind of jazzy rock in it. It sounds like they've heard an advanced copy of Astral Weeks. That's what I've written down. It's a kind of a <laughs> jazz bit on it. Um, and then it weirdly reminds me. Have you? Do you remember the program Mighty Boosh? The Mighty Boosh. Of course. Legendary. Yeah. There's like a, where he goes. Electric funeral. Electric, electric funeral. It really reminds me of the Mighty. Yeah. Like it was like a, a Mighty Boosh sketch or something. Yeah. It's kind of bizarre. But this yeah. is the thing. This is this is the thing about this band. Like in 1970, that would have been groundbreaking and mad and weird and exploratory. Now it kind of sounds a, a little bit kind of like a cliche or something that is overly earnest in its expression or trying to be... Well, that's the thing. No no one was doing those sort of topics. It's like, you know, I mean, you look at Zeppelin and I absolutely pissing love Zeppelin, but they're still kind of, ooh, my my woman's left me and... Yeah, it's still blues. It's still blues-based lyrically. And, and that you know, so yes, it seems like a massive cliche that somebody had to start it and it's like nobody was writing lyrics about this stuff. Exactly what's going on. They established so many um, of the tropes, if you like, of, of the genre. I'm afraid it is time for a funeral, for electric funeral, because I forget well, paranoid. You know, something I want to talk about electric funeral, though, because we'll get to paranoid later, is that there's something that Ozzy does, which with this one and an Iron Man, he literally sings the riff. And the guitar and the vocal are all following the same thing. And it's like... He does that a lot. Yeah, they do sing the riff a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, Mr. Osborne, what part of your job do you enjoy most? Not having to write the lyrics and not having to write a melody either. I know he does do it quite a lot, but other times when he does write around the of, riff... Of, on eight, eight songs, he does it on, I don't know, are we going to guess, what, six of them? No, you, you would be guessing it's not six of them, it's maybe three of them he sings the riff. It's got to be four. You'd have to argue he's an extraordinary and one of the world's best 
greatest frontmen of he's all time. He's very good at bouncing and clapping. If you look at the way he speaks, the way he speaks, it's almost inaudible. As soon as he gets on stage, he's like he's so clear and punctuates everything, and the the entire audience knows what he's saying. And he just he just he openly admitted he would just do an American accent because he knew they wouldn't understand him. But a lot of people wouldn't make that connection and wouldn't do that so successfully. So he has got an innate ability to connect with audiences and. Whether that's by design or, or just accident, I don't know. I mean, he's always been an extraordinary character, hasn't he, Ozzy Osbourne? They found him because he 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 owned his own PA. So he'd put, I think it was it wasn't he put a notice in the in the local guitar shop. Ozzy Zig needs a gig, has own PA. Yeah, exactly, and they yeah. turned up. And Tony Iommi knew Ozzy Osbourne because he used to beat him up at school. They went to school together, and he hated Ozzy Osbourne because he was like two years younger than, really irritating and mad. Um, but that's you know that's how they kind of reconnected after that experience, and I think they've always had kind of a an interesting relationship, haven't they? Yeah, Iommi for sure. and uh, and Osborne. I mean, I think Tony Iommi is a proper hard man, and he's certainly knocked he sparks out Ozzy on quite a few occasions. I've I've read. Do you consider you enjoy a good working relationship with your colleagues? Oh, that's a very good question. So at the beginning, yeah, and towards the end when they fail him, no, very much. No, not. because I think he became almost kind of liability, a, didn't he? A liability couldn't really function in any way. Um, he just hoovered up loads and loads of drugs um, and just made him. He went into rehab a lot. I just think he, you know, he just it's just really hard to work with him and to write. I think the more successful they got, just the cliches, they just got tons and tons of cocaine. And there was again, they're pioneers, aren't they? There's no kind of um, stories to warn them. No, you probably don't want to take all the cocaine you can possibly hoover up your nose because that's a bad thing. But there was no, there were no warning stories for them because they're pioneers, and and they were like, great, loads of cocaine, loads of booze. We can have it all we want, you know, everything. And they did. They did just hoover it up. And obviously, eventually, that completely circumvents your ability to be creative. Especially after... They're, this is a this is a band, or a jam band. They jam stuff out. They create stuff in the rehearsal room, which is a very hard way of writing songs. It's so much more efficient and easy to go away in a quiet place, work on the bits that need working on, to hammer it out in a really fucking loud room with all four of all four you have to be there and then work on the bits that don't work and do work but it's just the slowest most inefficient way to write songs yes. they got they, they got a gig at the star club in hamburg where obviously the beatles uh, got it and they basically said geezer butler said well basically we turned up in hamburg and we thought it was gonna be great and there's just three people watching us but we had to do eight sets a day and they had eight songs. So basically, each set was one of the songs which they just jammed on for ages. And they did that for a couple of months. And then they were so super tight because of that experience. They went into the studio and recorded the first Black Sabbath album in a day, like eight hours. Got in, played it live, put the stuff back in the van and went off to do a gig in Germany. And then the engineer mixed it the next day. They weren't even there for the first mix of their album. And this is an album that blew up and went massive, but literally they just played it live because they were that tight. They could just do it. I think they did a couple of overdubs on the guitar and the vocals. It's unheard of. It's absolutely mad that that's still an amazing album. It's like trying to score a goal from the halfway line. It happens once in a blue moon. They just got lightning in a bottle with that. Incredible. Where have we got to? Have we voted on Electric Funeral against Paranoid? Yeah, I mean, obviously Electric Funeral can't survive against Paranoid, so let's move on. We all know Paranoid's going through. Okay, the the third quarterfinal is Iron Man against Fairies Wear Boots. Oh, I am Iron Man. Uh, 
if Fraser Webber obviously isn't going to win here, that's fair enough. Um, but it's I like it. I like the Fraser Webber is really interesting because it really grew on me. I really thought it was like a bit of a lackluster end to the album, but I, I got more and more uh, into it. Yeah, it really grows on me. As, yeah, I really like it. I like um, the crunchy high guitars on it. It's great. But yeah, but I think actually one of the things it's a, a best example of is again something that that Sabbath did incredibly well, which is uh, shows how insanely tight they were. Which is the the, the different segments and to just stop and start in a you know in a key and time signature and then go back to the previous key and time signature without blinking on a dime don't they it's unbelievably tight I mean I was just and it's just riff after riff super tight and quite different things going from one to another and there's no like little fill to, to lead you in and no. it's just like boom we're going to change boom we're going to change yeah. boom we're going to change back it's, it, it, and also the thing that we haven't mentioned I mean we need to talk about it more is Bill Ward's drumming and how he just he's so heavy and loud and hard and furious but he also swings he swings he's like so this. jazz influenced I, lo- I love the swing I love the swing thing Fairy Wears Boots is um, just to, to wrap it up is about an encounter according to Ozzy Osbourne with a skinhead gangs who would have been yeah. prevalent in, and there's a lot of violence obviously in those days in Birmingham like scraps would have been normal just yeah, and there were a lot of gangs in Birmingham um, and you know they would have tried to avoid that. They were, that's why they wanted to kind of be successful as musicians. They wanted to get away from that, and get out of that. Um, I really like fairy wear, fairies wear boots, but um, you know Iron Man is massive, massive track. So obviously I'm going to vote for Iron Man. Yeah, anyone with with sanity is going to vote for Iron Man, which probably means Dave's about to vote for fairies <laughs> wear boots. But there you go. I'm voting for Iron Man as well. Right, the last quarterfinal is Hand of Doom against Planet Caravan. An interest, very interesting pairing. Yeah. So I was listening to this in the car with 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 um, my wife, and she said, "What are you doing next?" I said, "I oh, was doing um, this album." She loves this album. Pla- Planet Caravan comes on, and it is totally like anything anything else in this album. She said, what's this? I said, Planet Caravan. And she said, what, have they gone on holiday in a caravan? Because it sounds it's, it sounds totally different. And she's got a really good point. It is like this real kind of hippie jazz out, isn't it? I love the the uh, the subaquatic sound. Uh, it sounds like bubbles. I think it's uh, a flute. I think it's Iommi playing the flute because he was a flute player. It's, it's a great effect. sound. I, I think yeah, it's, it's one sound. of the most interesting sounds on the album. It's 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 a signpost of the fact that that heavy metal hasn't even 
doesn't exist yet, you know? No, clear, clearly, because he breaks into a sort of jazz guitar at the end. Which... Well, this is the most Django Reinhardt influenced one by Miles. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because they're super metal. This is a super important album in, in the birth of metal, but obviously. This band, all of their influences would be blues, would be Chuck Berry, would have been the Beatles, would have been the Shadows, anything like that. They they would have played and they've had a huge variety of influences. Whereas if twenty years later you're in, you want to play heavy rock or you want to be in a metal band, you could have just fed yourself metal influences for the last twenty years and yeah, not exactly. have had those influences. So that's why bands like Rage Against Machine are so good because they still keep so many influences. Um, and what. what makes you know this album still worth listening to 50 years later i would love what they've done to his voice as well on on planet caravan because they put it through a, a leslie um organ speaker and it, and it and it sounds it sounds like that you know it sounds literally like someone's playing the organ notes and he's singing them at the same time but it's just putting the vocal through the organ i've i've heard the vocal un unflanged as it were um and it sounds really nice as well it's really interesting to hear ozzy osbourne sing like that especially at that that time when he probably wouldn't have ripped his voice up but it's really nice it's really plaintive i I kind of would have preferred it without that effect i think or just have that effect effect. yeah a lot of people do i i think maybe have a bit of that effect and then hearing ozzy's voices it's really kind of vulnerable and 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 naked Although Sabbath fans argued for years over who was singing it, a lot of people didn't think it was him because it's so heavily yeah. effect- affected that um, people didn't think it was him for a long time. So uh, that is up against Planet Caravan is up against Hand of Doom. Oh, I love Miss Hand of Doom. Oh, so cool. Oh, so cool. It's, it's all about the rim shots on the drums. Dunk, dunk, dunk. <laughs> I'm voting for Planet Planet Caravan, so I'm guessing that you two are voting. For I'm voting for Hand, Hand of, of Doom. Hand of Doom. Yeah, of course it is. Hand of Doom, Doom amazing. So Ozzy's Ozzy's former jobs. Yeah. What, what what were the skills he acquired? Well, he was he worked jobs? at an abattoir. So he he, yeah. he, he did kill pigs and uh, and he was apparently quite good at that. Um, I've got I've got a site labourer. Site labourer. Apprentice failed, plumber. Failed burglar. He apparently tried a trainee, to steal it. A trainee yeah. burglar. Yeah, he tried to steal a television, then got crushed under the weight of it, and got slightly trapped under the television. He was trying to. Steal. But this was 1970. I mean, televisions were big in those days. Yeah, that's fair. But then he rolled over and decided to to just grab what he could get. So he decided to steal some clothes. Got home and found out they were baby's clothes, <laughs> so they wouldn't have fit him anyway. I mean, he was a terrible burglar. Oh, um, what else did he do? I don't know. And I've got, I I don't even know what this is. Uh, A car factory horn tuner. Amazing. Wow. (laughs) What What a job that that is. Do you have to have perfect pitch for that job? Wow. (laughs) Nice, nice gig. Tony, I mean, we haven't even talked about Tony Iommi's job. Um, He works in a... What did he do? Well, he works in a a sheet metal factory. And one day he was working on that and he had an accident with the the cutter and it cut off the tips of two of his fingers. Right hand or left hand? His his um his fretting hands, so the the hands. His right hand because he's left-handed yeah, guitarist. Yeah, he's a left-handed guitarist, so his fretting hands, so absolutely vital. I mean, basically, 
this really shows the incredible industry of this band like to just to to not be destroyed by that most people would be destroyed. and he said his boss came to him later on and he gave him a Django Reinhardt album and he was in a really bleak place obviously as you would be if he'd, he'd been a very talented musician from early on he knew what he wanted to do when he was being a musician um, and he gave him this Django Reinhardt album and he was like no I don't listen to any music I'm just not in a place where he goes no no please listen to it and he goes why and he goes well this guy just listen to it and he played it to him oh that's great guitar playing he said yeah this guy only had three fingers Django Reinhardt lost two fingers in, in, a, in a fire and that just sparked Tony Iommi to think, yeah, I can still do it. And he forged his own kind of plastic and leather fingertips, which he still uses to this day. It's unbelievable. The amount of pain he must have gone through to carry on and to learn the guitar again. But again, just... that, that, that comes down to all the things that have... There's, there's, like, there's like four or five major things that influenced what heavy metal becomes after this that are completely just out of nowhere that are relevant to this band that people take and run with and and one one of the things is that note from black sabbath i would say probably the second most important thing from the song black sabbath sorry i think the second most important thing is iomi loses the end of his fingers Mm. and and puts those things on the end of his fingers and because it's really painful to play even with those on his fingers he down tunes his whole guitar so he down tunes his guitar um i think half step to begin with but by the time they get to the third album he's tuned it down even further less tension yeah less tension on on his fingers and that and that creates this thicker syrupier doomier sound and again that's just practicality he's lost the end of his fingers and they bloody hurt and and you know suddenly he's making noises and again you've gone from you know it's a long way from from uh dave davis you know cutting the back of his amp and using distortion like that or clapton playing with cream to, to what he's now doing which is this down-tuned doomy thing and those things play off each other and it's just, just an accident it's just circumstance but that that's mm. another of the major things that, that that sort of signposts where metal goes i think life turns out best for those who make the best of the way that life turns out i, I think lassie said that Lassie, Lassie the dog. Yes. <laughs> um, You've got a nice surreal did, turn this evening, David. Did she bark it? <laughs> did she bark at the moon? Did it in dog semaphore. Good, good Aussie gag. One on. And, and this is a band who have done that, you know, uh, through adversity. Uh, oh my god, Jamie yeah, I mean, and, and I, was in a band. Made the best was, of the way yeah. that things turned out for them. Absolutely. Like Iomi was in a band that were doing quite well called Metamorphosis, I think, and then. Their drug dealer left his stash of of suitcase full of drugs at their house, and they got raided that day. and And they got on the collar for it, so it kind of destroyed that band. And they were like a really good band. So yeah, I mean, he still he bounced back from that as well. So it's extraordinary what he's had to you know he had to deal with to get where he was. The semi-final, the semi-final now. Let's move on to the semi-finals, and the first semi-final is War Pigs against Paranoid. See what's happened here. You see That's what's what happened. He's, he's front-loaded the quarterfinals and made them easy, gimmies, and then it's yeah. like really hard. Right, so you've got War... track one versus track two. And that is a hell of a one-two punch for any album. I mean, what, what a one-two punch. Jeez, what a way to open an album. Okay, uh, Paranoid. Paranoid. 
Are you feeling paranoid, Dave? <laughs> you fucking should. Give us your give us your spreadsheet on paranoid. Okay, so the, the obvious winner is paranoid. Uh, great opening riff, uh, vocals that really match well with the guitars. Uh, he doesn't do a lot with them outside of the guitars, but yeah, it's, it fits. Uh, paranoid, acceptable work on Paranoid Os- Oswald. Which bits of your uh, job uh, do you least enjoy? Writing vocal melody. That's okay, though, because sometimes you follow the riff really well, yeah, as you God. do on Paranoid. Oh. Uh, no chorus, but that doesn't really matter because uh, it just, you know, it's a, it's a classic, an all-time classic. <laughs> Paranoid for me. Yeah. Well, jeez. Oh, where do we start now? Well, they're both incredible songs. Yeah, um, for sure. Drums are great on both. Bass is great on both. Vocals are great on both. They just... It's kind of churlish to, to to break it down to that, but I mean, I just I love that spank of that guitar on Paranoid it, on the turnaround of, of of the main riff. It's just amazing. War Pigs is amazing as well. That great opening riff, and then it goes, it builds up, and then there's you think how can this get any better? And there's this incredible vocal. Like the first two or three li- lines are just like wow. <laughs> I think that's one of the most remarkable openings to any record ever, to be honest with you. I think War Pigs is one of the most remarkable pieces of rock ever committed to record. I think it's incredible. Do I love Paranoid? I'm not even sure I do love Paranoid. I think uh, that's, I mean, again, maybe there's an overexposure issue here, but I I think it's great. But you know, there's, there's that the whole story of how they came up with it, where they, you know, it, and it's it's again, it's become a rock trope. You know, it's the oh, we've made an album, and then someone comes and says, oh, you need a single, and they have to write something really quickly, and it ends up being the most commercial and most famous thing there. And you know, and, and, is that and what this, happened? Yeah, that's what they happened. Need, they were told they needed to fill three or four minutes to finish the album. So they, the the legend goes, they came back from the pub, started jamming, paranoid. Wrote it in about twenty minutes, and then that was that. They kind of committed to take pretty much that evening. Yeah. And in the lyrics about Geezer Butler's struggle with depression as a teenager. When she called, but when she called paranoid because he didn't know the difference between paranoia and depression. So there's actually no reference to paranoia anywhere in the lyrics, or being paranoid, yeah. which is brilliant. It's actually, it's actually, it should be called depression. Yeah, but as, probably as you would. I mean, this that again, we've got to come back to this. It's 1970. They're working class kids. Anything like mental health or the awareness of it which we have now even even i mean 
even in our era, we wouldn't have really been if we'd have felt like struggling when we were teenagers. It'd be oh, like, yeah. That's just normal. You're teenagers. You're supposed to fucking be miserable for. Well, three no, years. I mean, like, I only tell that story because he tells it that way and sort of amusing me yeah. about himself. Oh, totally. I mean, I mean, yeah. I think it's incredible that he was able to articulate that. To be honest, but again, yeah. I think I think actually this is a really really important example of where the misinterpretation and misunderstanding begins to start a lot of the satany stuff is wildly misinterpreted because they're mm. sort of going oh we're singing about bad things and look over there there's satan and he's awful we don't like him because you know we're all wearing crosses mm. and, what everyone, and what everyone hears is oh they're singing about satan this is brilliant they're into mm. satan let's get into satan too and what songs about satan yeah. this is brilliant and that's where it goes and it's like that's never ever what sabbath oh about. i mean war pigs is so obviously a moralistic tale where they invoke the wrath of god and uh, yeah. are on the side of that i mean that it's quite a morally clearly pure image they're like you know he sings oh lord i mean it, that's like yeah. a, a lyric from a gospel song oh lord you know like you say it's moralizing it's like we've got to deal with this because this is horrible it's not oh satan it's, yeah oh, absolutely they're definitely on 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 the side of of righteousness and, and godliness in this in this song but there was a very specific very specific example from this song which is so basically they found a girl a sort of um who had taken her own life and paranoid was on the turntable and i think it was on this song particularly I don't know whether there was a court case, but certainly they got accused of sort of contributing to this because of the lyric uh, telling you now of my state, I tell you to end your life, which, of course, isn't the lyric. He doesn't say I tell you to no. end your life. He says he says, I tell you to enjoy life. <laughs> he, I mean, it couldn't it couldn't be yeah, any more chalk like and it. cheese. But because yeah. I tell you to enjoy your life, it's like how how did you get there from there wow so we've got to vote we've we've gone a, a long way around um so, so the first semi-final is war pigs against paranoid it's war pigs for me i think war pigs is the most remarkable thing on the album i have a horrible feeling it's about to go out to paranoid and paranoid's great but i don't think that it's yeah. gone to, i don't think that a, a four minute sort of uh slightly commercial sounding sort of uh, riff driven near pop song is as representative of how incredibly important they are as war pigs is and I, I do love it i do love it i do love it but war pigs oh, is great. phenomenal i think that um so i'm voting for paranoid paranoid is their song that crosses over from the, the genre into the mainstream in the same way that say anarchy in the uk takes punk and crosses over into the mainstream Fuck. sounds like the final doesn't it it should be the final. Yeah, this does feel like the final. It, it is. Come You're on, have to... I won't blame you for vote for Paranoid, but you should be voting for Warpix, oh. let's be honest. <laughs> I am really struggling. I was letting you two chunter away there because I was just playing the songs in my head. Um, I'm really struggling. Um, Warpix is definitive and it is an extraordinary piece of music and probably more representative of really how they change music in a way. Um, but Dave's right, Paranoid is this incredible crossover beast and I love it and I've heard it a million times. So it's hard because I've heard Paranoid a billion times and I think it's an amazing tune. I'm afraid I'm going to have to sizzle your bacon, Steve. It's Paranoid. Oh, that's fine. I'll live. 
This is alright. We've still got Iron Man in the running. It's fine. Yeah, I think that should have been the final. I think they're my two favourite songs in the album. Paranoid is just so perfectly complete. Warpig goes slightly too long and then has a shit end. Yeah. I mean, that's literally... I'm splitting hairs and that's a bullshit reason to, to vote no, one. No, no, no. You, if, you, if you're on the fence, you've got to find something. That's fair enough. I hate you right now, but you've got to find yeah. something. Right, come on, Dave. Take, <laughs> us, take us in. You don't hate Dave. The second semi-final is Iron Man against Hand of Doom. Well, Hand of Doom can't survive here. That's fair enough. I mean, Hand, Hand of, so Hand of Doom is uh, basically they go and they 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 did some shows in in uh, some American war bases and Geezer Butler realised that that yeah. you know that that these guys had come back from Vietnam and they were now sort of taking heroin because they couldn't cope quite understandably with the realities of that they they they'd seen you know uh, yeah. of of the war and and I think it was a very sort of direct. Um, pretty direct rendition of of that experience of talking to those guys i think it's a brilliant song i, I love the, i love that that drumming but it can't it's got to go out here oh it's great and i love the boogie shuffle when it comes in i think it's part two where this boogie shuffle comes in it's just so brilliant it's so cool that's my favorite part of the song is part two i think there's something about being the right person in the right place at the right time which they were they they were the the right guys uh in the right place birmingham uh, I think had a really collaborative music scene at the time, and and a lot of heavy industry in in, in Birmingham. I mean, literally, you go around Birmingham, it's just heavy industry. Up here. So it's it's no surprise that you got Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, like the sound of industry, the clank, the whir, the smash of metal. It just it's no surprise, is it? Uh, so we have the second semi final, which is Iron Man against Hand of Doom. Iron Man's going through, obviously. Yeah, I'm going to go for vote for Iron Man. Oh, definitely Iron Man. So we've got our final. The big one. What's the final? We got hey. we've, we've meandered, stumbled our way to Paranoid against Iron Man. Oh, that's fair. That is fair. Warpig should be good. there, but that's fair. I mean, that's two of the three iconic tunes have made it to the final. So, And in fairness, only two of the three could have got through to the final, just statistically speaking. There's no way for all three of them to got through to the final. No, I know. I know. You can't you can't Warpiggy on someone's back no. and get in. Let's cut that joke out. Can you, in the edit, can you remove remove that joke, please, David? So my last question in the uh, the appraisal performance If review, I'm Ozzy Osbourne, I'm filing a fucking harassment suit against you, quite frankly. This is poor mid, mid-level management from you, David Hughes. <laughs> Um, can you see yourself performing the same role in 50 years' time? Who, who would have thunk it 50 years later? Probably not him. That he would still be performing yes. oh, on stage Black Sabbath singing these songs from 1970. Yeah. I mean, you talk about ingeniousness. Like, his his wife is a, a genius manager to turn... I mean, he was very successful in Black Sabbath, then incredibly successful as a solo artist. Actually, that's good. That's a good point. If we're going to talk about entre- entrepreneurial sort of spirit, Sharon Osbourne is 
is oh, unbelievable ridiculous ridiculous i mean yeah. i mean can you imagine how how utterly pissed off they they were when you know you've got someone in your band and he's drunk smoked and snorted his way to oblivion and he's absolutely screwed he's no use to anyone anymore and you quite understandably jettison him and his wife picks him up off the pavement and makes him four times the size of star that you are. And suddenly Ozzy Osbourne, out of nowhere, the the completely lost cause in your band has gone off and is now outselling you four to one overnight. It's, and, I mean, can you imagine how pissed off you would be that you bet on the wrong horse when it was so obvious that, you know, that, that should have been what you were doing? It's like, oh, my God. And, she, and that's yeah. Sharon Osbourne. That's Sharon Osbourne. She came away and she said, we oh. believe in you. We believe in you. We want to manage you. We want to make you a solo star. Let's do it. And he went, all right, fair enough. We're into the final and the two songs are Paranoid Against Iron Man. So Iron Man, I love I loved the again, Ozzy's contributions were so bizarre. So Ozzy's contribution to this, which is again, uh, chimes in with the way that they were writing songs around this point, was that, was that, uh, Iomi had come up with that riff, and Ozzy's comment was, "It sounds like a big iron bloke walking around." At which point, Geezer Butler's like, "Oh, well, that's, that's, I like that. Let's call it Iron Bloke." So it was called Iron Bloke for a while, <laughs> which is amazing. It's uh, amazing. And then, oh, they, and yeah. then they changed it. I am Iron Bloke, and then they changed it to this science fiction story about Iron Iron Man who goes. I think he goes into the future and sees the future of mankind, and then comes back from the future and isn't believed and then gets pissed off with everybody and wreaks his vengeance um which is pretty mad uh it's it's difficult because for me warpigs is a better example of this kind of writing it's quite sort of in a similar style in its kind of epicness but that whole thing where he sings the riff it, it might that's be one. The weak, it, it, that's the weakest part it, of singing the riff. It, yeah, the, the singing. It's the, yeah, it is the weakest part of singing the riff. And the album. Uh, having having been slightly irritated by Paranoid getting through last time, uh, now now Warpigs isn't on the table anymore. I think I'm going to have to vote for Paranoid because it is awesome. There you Dave, go. what are you going to vote for? Uh, what's that? Iron Man is my second favourite song okay. on the album. I think and your favourite is Rat Salad. Yeah, we've discovered uh, that. <laughs> And uh, but my favourite is Paranoid, so mm. I'm voting for Paranoid. Boom. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, I really like Iron Man, but I think Warpigs is is a much better example of, of of exactly what they do. As you said, Steve, it is it's it, it's incredible. So, and I've already voted against Warpigs. So you know, I'm going to vote for Paranoid because it's just incredible. I mean, it's just three three or four minutes of just perfect chugging, powerful rock. You could try a lifetime and. Uh, getting, trying to get a better guitar sound than that and you just won't it's amazing there you go 